Welcome to the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. I'm so glad you're here. Today we're continuing our Lenten series called Vices. Get ready because the Sermon Cast begins now. About a month ago, the number one show to watch on Netflix was a show called Inventing Anna. Now, the show is the story of a girl named Anna Delvey and how she posed as a German heiress to scam people, hotels, and even big banks out of hundreds and thousands of dollars. It's actually a quite interesting show, and I really recommend you go watch it if you haven't seen it yet. Now, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to ruin the whole show for you, although this show is based on real-life events, and uh, it was all over media when all of this happened. So uh, you probably already know how uh, this story ends, but just in case you have no clue, uh, I I won't tell you any details other than this, and it won't ruin the series for you, I promise. There's a point in the show when Anna and her lawyer are having a very heated argument as they try to figure out what their defense is going to be and how to get her to avoid as much jail time uh, as possible, preferably for her to avoid jail altogether. Now, in the midst of this argument, there are three things that are said that have stuck with me since I first watched this show. So uh, first, as Anna uh, begins to vent her frustration to her lawyer regarding his defense strategy, she looks at him and says this. She says, You have completely ruined my reputation. Now, a little after that, her lawyer responds to her. I mean, they start bickering a little bit more. And her lawyer looks at her and says, Do you really believe your lies? Are they for me or are they for you? It must be for you because everyone else in your life who hasn't abandoned you yet is way past believing your lies and no longer cares as long as they get their money back. There's this awkward silence. And then Anna responds with this. And it sets the tone for the rest of the show. She says this. I would rather go to jail than to come off as some wannabe, some amateur, some lazy millennial just looking for a shortcut to fame and fortune. I want respect. I want you to defend me and my work, my foundation, my achievements. Everyone has to know that I am not a fraud. Now, what she says and how she says it, it's very powerful, but there's one problem to it. She is a fraud. See, she, 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 uh, she is not who she claims to be, and she doesn't have the resources available to her that she claims to have. She's a fraud. And even the title says it, right? Inventing Anna. She's creating this character. I mean, the whole show is about how she creates this fake persona. But in the end of it, at the end of it all, she doesn't care whether she's a fraud or not. You see, she's not interested in what she is or what she isn't. She's interested in the way people view her or people perceive her. See, for Anna, it's not about not being a fraud. For Anna, it's about not being seen as a fraud, even if she is one. Now, this is the vice of vainglory. In her book titled Glittering Vices, Rebecca DeYoung defines vainglory as an excessive and disordered desire for recognition and approval from others. James Bryan Smith, in his book called The Good and Beautiful Life, he says this, Vainglory is essentially rooted in insecurity and is driven by our need for affirmation by others. You see, at its root, vainglory is an obsession with the way others view us, regardless of whether the image they see is true or not. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When I was first diagnosed with depression, it became my life mission to make sure that no one would ever look at me and say, oh, that's the depressed guy. 
I think everybody who struggles with any sort of mental health can relate to that feeling. The problem with that way of thinking, though, is that uh, at the time, it was more important for me to not be seen as depressed than it was to work on ways to better manage my depression. In other words, the optics of my mental health were way more important to me than actually dealing with my mental health. And this can be true of so many things, right? So someone who struggles with anger may never actually try to work on their anger, but they may work endlessly to make sure uh, nobody believes this person struggles with anger, right? Someone who struggles with addiction may never actually work on their addiction, but they may work endlessly towards making people believe that they don't struggle with addiction. Someone who struggles with hoarding or lust or even gluttony, they may never actually work on their struggles, but they may work endlessly towards making people believe they don't struggle with these things. See, that is the perfect depiction of vainglory. It's an obsession not with who you actually are, but how you are viewed. And that is the very thing that sets vainglory apart from things like pride and ambition. See, pride pushes people to work harder than everyone else in order to be better than everyone else. Like, they actually want to be better than everyone else. Ambition, on the other hand, is an excessive desire for the honor and respect that an accomplishment deserves, right? So both of these, uh, what what both of these have in common is that they're both concerned not only with looking their very best, they want to be the very best, right? They want to gain certain accomplishments or or reach certain accomplishments for uh, the sake of what those accomplishments will mean in their lives and will bring for them. And while vainglory will welcome those same things, that is not the main concern of a person who is plagued by this vice. See, the vainglorious person's main concern is looking like the best, even if they really aren't. Looking like they fit in, even if they don't. Looking like they have their whole lives put together, even if it's just a lie. Looking like they know better, even when they know they don't. See, to quote Rebecca DeYoung, for the vainglorious, image is everything. And what's interesting about vainglory is that it's even found in Scripture. We see it uh, happening all throughout biblical times. Just just, uh, listen to this uh, Scripture from Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others." Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so as to show the others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Now, this text has vainglory written all over it. You see, Jesus noticed that there were people who, uh, when they lived out their faith, when they gave to the poor and when they prayed, when they fasted, when they lived out their faith, they were more interested in making sure that others knew what they were doing than they were in actually living out their faith. And in the end, Jesus tells them to not practice their faith this way, right? He says to stop doing things simply for appearance, And I think that's what we're called to do. But how do we do that? How do we free ourselves from the power that vainglory has over us? Now, the answer to this is a little difficult because vainglory is one of those vices that can pop up out of nowhere without us even realizing it. So we we constantly have to wrestle with why we are doing the things we do, right? We have to ask ourselves, is it for recognition or is it to help our world more fully reflect the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven? And the reality is that this is just a question we have to ask ourselves every single day in everything we do. It's a never ending question, right? Are we doing this because we want recognition? We want praise? We want people to see us a certain way? Or are we doing this to help the, our, our communities uh, fully reflect the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven? So that's one. But I think there's one more way we can overcome vainglory, and it involves changing our perspective on life. Let me explain. For the most part, we are taught to believe that what we do really matters because it gives us a place, our place in society. But it's a very me-centered mentality if we do that. And, and it's, a, it's a very me-centered mentality in which if we're not careful, we will begin to do things only out of what it will do for us, right? What we're going to get out of doing those things. But what if instead we began to do things not for glory or recognition that we will receive, but rather for the purpose of giving glory to God and giving recognition to God. See, the second thing we have to do in order to overcome vainglory is that we have to remove ourselves from the center of attention and instead place God in that seat of honor. In other words, everything we do has to intentionally be about pointing people to God's goodness, right? So when we give to the poor, it cannot be about making ourselves look generous. It has to be about pointing people towards a generous God. When we pray with others, it cannot be about making people believe that we know how to pray better than everyone else or that we somehow have a better uh, connection with God because we know how to pray. It has to be about pointing people towards a God that hear us. And when we do anything, it, it cannot be about making people believe something about us or view us a certain way or see us a certain way. It has to be about pointing people towards knowing God better. See, the, the question we have to ask ourselves is how do we do this in our everyday life? At work, for example, how do we not just be the best at our job that we can possibly be, but how can we allow our life to point our coworkers back to God? You know, at home, how do we not only become the best spouse or the best roommate or the best son and daughter that we can be, but also how do we allow our life to to really uh, point uh, the people in our house back to God, to a closer relationship with God? And we have to ask ourselves this question regarding every aspect of our lives. How do we do this in our hobbies, as we drive, when we go shopping, uh, in every interaction that we have throughout the day? How do we make this a part of who we are, that everything we do, everything we are, everything we have points people back to God? See, ultimately, every gift we have to offer the world is ours not for the purpose of increasing people's view of us, right, of influencing the way people see us or view us, but the gifts that we have are ours so that we can help people, help point people back to the one who gave us those gifts in the first place. And when we can approach life through that lens, 
then we can finally begin to experience this life the way God intended for us to experience it. De Young says this in her book, To give up on a life devoted to self-glorification is really to take up a life of freedom, a life of uh, vainglory's empty grasping, a life founded upon the recognition and acceptance that human beings most deeply need. Such a life can provide the security and satisfaction of being known and loved by the one whose approval we cannot live without, with eyes not so blinded by flash and sizzle that they fail to see Jesus. Friends, may we leave behind our desire for people to see us a certain way or uh, uh, describe us in certain ways. And may we instead dedicate our lives to pointing people back to Jesus, to let our lives reflect people back towards God. And in so doing, as counterproductive as it may sound, may you and I experience the freedom that comes from overcoming vainglory in our lives. May it be so. Amen. I hope you found this sermon to be meaningful and relevant to your life. If you'd like to dive deeper, I invite you to visit midcity.church slash sermoncast and click on the current sermon series. There you can find a home sheet for this sermon that includes the scriptures that we talked about, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge to live out this week. While you're on the website, if you'd like to make a financial contribution to our ministry here at Mid-City Church, you can click the Give button in the top right corner. If you're new to the sermon cast, I invite you to text the word HERE, H-E-R-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662 and fill out a Connect card so that we can get to know you. I'm so glad you joined us today, and I look forward to seeing you next week.